Welcome to Recover Strong, a show that will transform your recovery from an eating disorder by helping you go from theory to practice to mastery. I'm Jessica Flint, founder of Recovery Warriors, and you are listening to our podcast channel created specifically for you in all the stages and phases of recovery. I want to celebrate you for carving out this special time to learn new skills, tools, and get the inspiration you need to recover strong. Let's get started. I'm your host, Andrea Wells. And just like you, I understand what it's like to live with an eating disorder and be held back by body image struggles. The recovery journey is ongoing, and we're all in it together as we learn to embrace new behaviors and new thoughts day by day. Join me as I connect with eating disorder experts and thought leaders to give you the tools, resources, and strategies you need to recover strong. Today is a five things feature where you get more recovery wisdom in less time. And each week we talk about five things related to recovery. Today's topic is five ways to overcome food noise and body shame brought on by parents. I'm joined by Amir Yas. He is a content creator, comedian, and activist with over 30 million views on TikTok. He's a queer Muslim who has lived experience in overcoming an eating disorder. Amir is a passionate LGBTQ plus activist who speaks out against racism, transphobia, and body shaming in the queer community. And Amir was raised in Orange County, California by his parents who immigrated from Iran, and he knows very well the impact that comments from parents can have on your relationship to food and body, especially when coming from people with strong opinions based in different cultures. So I'm so excited for him to share his insights and some practical steps on navigating the outside noise around body and food from some of the most important people in your life, your parents. Welcome, Amir. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. So can you share what your experience was like living with and recovering from an eating disorder? Absolutely. So, you know, I always say like anything that does has to do with your body or, you know, body dysmorphia or eating disorders, it doesn't start just out of nowhere. I think it's like a collection of stuff throughout your experiences. So I was a child who always had a lot of extra weight. I was always made fun of for being, you know, it was all the you know, fill in all the bullying you could think of. I mean, luckily there was no social media, so it didn't generally follow me home. I mean, I was kind of free of it. Um, I think I've been more bullied as as an older person than I was when I was younger. So that's good. But, you know, there's a lot of bullying. You know, people would say, oh, you're rolling down the hallway. I mean, just, just all the stuff. But I really realized early on that I had a very strong personality. So I would fight back and I use humor as a way to kind of diffuse people. But all of that is kind of like death by a thousand cuts. And then eventually I started to look at myself in the mirror and I would wear a t-shirt in the pool. And, you know, me and my sister would orchestrate this whole elaborate plan of her to push me in the pool. And, you know, like it was just, I was just so scared of being shirtless, you know, for PE, I would change in the bathroom, like all of the, all of those steps kind of like helped to like unfortunately set me up for what ended up coming later um, when I was at USC. Um, My freshman year at USC, I just was like tired of being the quote unquote fat friend. And I was just like, I'm done. And I think that frustration kind of led to me to stop eating. Um, I fully stopped eating. I would exercise like a maniac. I would sit in bed and dream about all the things I ate. And I would then beat myself up about it. I mean, it was just it was just a never-ending cycle of abuse. I was very underweight. Um, you know, people would stop me and say, like, eat a sandwich. But when you're kind of in the midst of it and you haven't done the work, that's a compliment, right? I was like, oh, I'm so thin that people are stopping me. Um, that started to get to my head. So yeah, it was it was a really scary time. And you know, I ended up in the emergency room. So I think that was a wake up call. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just recently, honestly, like a couple years ago, started calling that an eating disorder. Because before I would say, oh, no, I have disordered eating, or it's food noise, or it was body dysmorphia. But I really like believe I mean, I was really struggling with anorexia. I mean, that's what it was. I just wasn't eating. How did you find recovery? What, what led you to, to making things better for yourself? I mean, it's, I mean, I still struggle with it, obviously. Like, I don't think it like goes away. When I was at USC, like, you know, I had friends that would pull me aside, like, are you okay? Like, you're not eating. Like, I would go to restaurants and I would order and then get it to go. 
And I always thought like, oh, I'm just being practical. But then like I would give the food away or I would throw it away. Like, And I think that people started to catch on. And I think there's a lot of shame attached to any kind of disordered eating or eating an eating disorder that people don't really talk about. There's a lot of shame and like you just end up feeling so ashamed. And when people try to help, you feel like they're spotlighting you. Um, you know, and I was also in the closet at the time as well. So a lot of those pressures like that added to it um, because I couldn't control a lot of things. You know, I have conservative Muslim parents. I couldn't come out to them. I was carrying that secret. Plus I was like dealing with anxiety and depression. And then I was, but the only thing I could control was what I put into my mouth. Right. So I was like, Oh, like I can control the food. I can control that intake. And so that's like where I kind of got off on it. But yeah, friends would pull me aside. That never really worked. I think for me, um, ending up in the emergency room, I think that helped. Um, I had eaten a cupcake because I probably hadn't eaten anything for a day and a half or something. And I had a cupcake and I think the sugar rush really got to me. And honestly, it kind of ended up saving my life because I didn't want to end up in that situation again. And I slowly started to, I really don't have like a really polished answer for like how I got back on track. And sounded like you had a big wake up call. I did. I did. And then I, and and honestly, like you don't even need like a good answer for why you got back on track. But I think for me, it was like, I just had to get back on track. And I, I think, like I said, people started to notice, um, and we'll get into like my family stuff later, but they are, Persians are very, people from Iran, we call them Persians, are very aware of your body. If you're gaining weight, they're aware of it. If you're losing weight, they're aware of it. There's a lot of spotlight effect. And I think that that was hard for me because I'm someone who likes attention, but I like it when I'm in control. And with the eating disorder and my body, like losing all that weight, I was no longer in control of the narrative. So that was really hard for me. What types of comments would your parents make? Um, with my parents, I mean, the good thing was that I was a freshman in college, so I had left, um, Orange County and I was in LA now and they, I wouldn't see them as often. And then when I did, I would wear like baggier clothes because I just didn't want the comments. And I remember one time, like my sister hugged me and was like, I can feel your bones. Mm. That kind of awareness. I was like, Oh my God, like people are starting to notice. And I think because I also worked in fashion PR, I was in PR, I looking skinny was like encouraged. So I was getting encouraged from all angles. Um, I think that made it really difficult. But yeah, my parents, you know, again, it's like, I I would be, I remember as a kid, like eating a cookie and my dad would be like diabetes, right? There was a lot of like really extreme responses to food. Like if you're eating some fries, oh, you're going to have a heart attack. It's like, it it became very extreme, which is very black and white. Um, You know, my dad, I think is on the spectrum. So I think he's neurodivergent. So he's very blunt with stuff, but that's really difficult when you're a child and you have your own food noise and you're trying to eat a slice of pizza and someone's like, oh, you're going to get fat and die. That was like a very extreme thing. And it's weird because in Middle Eastern culture, all we do is say, eat, 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 food, food, food. And then if you gain weight, they're like, stop eating. Like it's really, it's a kind of like a pack mentality, a tribal mentality of like, you have to eat together and even if it's not good for you, we're going to eat together. And then like, it's really interesting because a lot of our culture is like eating late, but then talking as you're eating about how unhealthy it is. And that was really hard for me as someone who struggles with like their body. When people are eating and they're talking about how it's going to make them fat, how it's going to make them unhealthy, it makes it hard for me to digest the food. So that was always really difficult for me because it's like, why are you talking about how bad it is, but you're still eating it? Like, I don't, I didn't understand that because I thought if you think it's bad, then you wouldn't eat it. It it was a very, it's a very interesting culture. It's very complicated. I mean, that sounds confusing as hell, especially as a child. So yes, I don't blame you. And I, and I see why you call it um, food noise because it sounds like it is noisy. Like there's so many people around you saying things and doing things either directly to you, or even if it's not directly to you, it's like what you're saying with the food that they're eating. You even talking about themselves can be really confusing and upsetting. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, let's dive into five ways to overcome food noise and body shame brought on by parents. Number one, education. So it can be helpful to educate yourself on what factors lead to your parents' harmful beliefs and attitudes around food and body that they now share with you or the rest of the world. So consider the time period they grew up in, region, culture, other family influences that impacted them, and seek to find more information and understanding. 
So Amir, I'm curious for you, how did considering these things help you deal with the outside noise from your parents? Well, I think context is always really good, right? Like understanding where someone's coming from, I think that helps you to like kind of ground yourself. And I had to remind myself like, and, and it's all, it's kind of like a running joke with Middle Eastern people. Like there's a lot of like, not a lot of education as far as like eating and people just kind of just eat what's put in front of them. Um, and a lot of our culture is also tied into like, you finish your plate. Like my aunt used to come around and like put our plates on our heads. And it's like, well, if you're full, you don't need to finish the entire plate. You know, like I was never taught that. Like it was like, no, you eat until you finish what's in front of you. And, and even like, I had to like unlearn that. Like if we're at a restaurant, I'm like, oh, let me eat like what my friend's not eating. And I think that like, that was like really hard for me to like adjust that. And and also it's hard to educate people who are not open to being educated. And I think, you know, for my parents or my family, it was like, well, what's the big deal? Why are you making a big deal about it? Like, I just said you're fat. I just want you to know that you're fat. <laughs> and it's like, uh, well, I don't like that. Like, I don't, I don't receive that. Right. Like I remember my uncle, like put his hand on my stomach a couple years ago. Oh, well, like, are you expecting I mean, it's just not even funny. It's like really traumatic. And I don't say this stuff to trigger anyone who's listening, but like that's kind of been my experience where I've had to kind of use humor as a way to kind of diffuse it and they stopped doing it. And I'm not saying that's going to work for everyone, but like I turned around and I was like, are you six months pregnant? I don't like to play that game, but when you're going to start it, I'm going to finish it. And I don't like, and then he stopped. Right. But like, really like, and the reason I picked this like first step is that you really can't really educate anyone but yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, have you like learned to separate your own thoughts and beliefs from the people around you, whether it's parents or people you pass in the street, have you really sunk into separating yourself from that and not getting sucked in? I mean, it's not easy. Like, especially cause I do have like a big presence on social media, like, you know, on TikTok. you know, that when I first got on TikTok, I get thousands of messages. Yeah. A lot of them were really nice. A lot of them were like, I love your videos, but you're so disgustingly fat. Or I mean, just like just and I don't like I don't I don't like repeating this stuff because I don't like anyone to feel like they get some present like you know they get some attention for the nasty things they say. But I I would go in like I would get into it with these people and they'd be like, Oh, you're just like an obese warrior. Like and I think that there's a lot of like anger people have towards people, like, you know, aside from Lizzo's like whatever semi-cancellation, I mean, there was a lot of stuff she did that was really great. And people were and I but I look at the vi- pictures and these people, I mean the comments, and people are just arguing with themselves about how she's like promoting obesity. Uh, can you dance for eight hours on stage? I don't think you can. So I don't care what size you are. <laughs> and also this idea that thin is healthy. I mean, I was very thin and very unhealthy and I have a lot of friends, especially in the gay community. There's a lot of, um, you know, growth hormone that people use. There's a lot of drugs that people ingest. And I'm like, uh, your insides might be horrible. Yeah. You might have, you might be buff, but how is your heart and your liver? Like, it's probably not great. So I, I think it's important to, to realize like, you know, thin is not like the goal. And I get it. Like, because of the modeling industry. And, you know, I was part of the problem. Like I was in fashion PR, we would promote that style and we would, you know, and I think that even now, like people still have this aversion and it's like, well, yeah, like the, the, the normal size is like 12 to 16. So of course there needs to be mannequins that match that. Like, and I think it's really interesting when thin people like make comments on that. I, it, it almost makes more sense to me, but then I see a lot of people who are not very thin who are making comments on and I I just I think that's hard for me to digest and as I'm like is that self-hatred because I've done that like everyone's been in that place where you're self-hating but why comment oh I would never wear that okay then don't wear it I've had people message me like on Instagram comment like you're so brave I'm brave because this is what my body looks like and I'm shirtless the rest of the men in that picture are shirtless as well why am I brave because I don't have abs and I don't have like a per- perfect chiseled chest. Somehow I'm brave. How is that bravery? Like I never got that. I feel like that was always a like stay in your lane. Don't dress like that. You're not allowed to dress like that. So I think for me, I've had to really kind of rewire my brain and be like, do I love what I see in the mirror? And a lot of the times I do. A lot of the times I don't. Like, there are days where I'm like, I don't want to look in the mirror. And it's okay. Like, you're a human being. You don't always have to be a warrior. And you don't always have to be like, some of that, like, mantras and, like, love yourself. People just say it, but they don't really know what it means. Like, it's kind of saying, like, oh, be happy. Okay. How? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. It's, like, easier said than done, for sure. Yeah. So I had to rewire a lot of that stuff. And also realizing that, like, someone on Instagram 
that's calling you fat or saying you're disgusting or if you lost 10 pounds, you'd be boyfriend material, like stuff like that. It's like, just take it for what it is and be like, this has nothing to do with me. This has more about them, right? This is more about them. If I go on a date with someone and they tell me like, if I lost a couple pounds that like, I would be more interesting to them. That's that person's trauma speaking. That's nothing to do with you. You can cry. Like I cried in the, in the Uber home, but you're allowed to have emotions, but you, you just have to kind of find that inner strength. Sometimes I don't know where it comes from, honestly, between us. Like I have no idea where it comes from. I just find it. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to like dust myself off and, you know, just move on with my life. And you really can't do anything else. I don't, I don't know what else you would do. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've been able to separate your worth from the things that people say, because you're absolutely right. It says everything about them and, and not you. So as we wrap up the first thing of education, what are some things that you have learned about your parents and your family in terms of what has impacted their views around food and body? Um, for me, like, you know, my mom was a size 16 when she was in high school. So she was, you know, she had to, she lost a lot of weight over the span of a year. She was dieting. And, but there was a lot of like rage towards, um, anyone who was overweight. There was a lot of rage towards like people who are like, well, she's like, then don't put the food in your mouth, like very extreme response. And I think that was part of that is like the trauma of being in high school, being kind of a size 16, that could not have been easy in an all girls school in Los Angeles. Like that could not have been easy for her. Again, no excuse for like the lashing out, but yeah, there's, I think with a lot of Middle Eastern, there's like a huge awareness of weight. Like my dad would be like, Oh, you know, Oh, that woman is so fat. Like, why are you no, like, you might think that you don't need to say it. And I think that that was like, that's the part with Middle East culture where it's like a very, like my grandma would be like, tell your friend she's fat. It's like, Wait, what? Like, I don't know if that's a cultural thing. Like, I really don't know, but it just, it always never made any sense to me. And then I'd look at myself and be like, I'm fat. And then I'd be like, uh, like, what are they thinking about me? Right. And then I think that your imagination fills in stuff. And then that's when everything goes haywire. Yeah. And I like that you brought up, like, there's no excuses for it, but you're understanding. And I think that's an important part of educating yourself is like, no, it doesn't mean that what has been said to you or done to you is okay, but it can be helpful to have the perspective and have the understanding. And that just helps you in your own journey of getting to a better place in recovery. Totally. So now let's move on to our next way to overcome food noise and body shame brought on by parents. Number two, communication. So having open and honest communication with your parents about their attitudes and comments can make a big difference. So Amir, how did what did opening up communication with your parents look like for you? So I think that like open communication, it depends on your family structure. It depends on like how you discuss stuff and context is so important. And I think having open dialogue with your parents. And again, if your parents are Middle Eastern, it's not the easiest thing. Like I know that like I, I grew up in a predominantly like white neighborhood and I see the way like my friends would talk to their parents and I'm like, that's so real. Like you're like, hey, Nancy. Like, I'm gonna have sex with my boyfriend and then Nancy's like fine with it. Like, I like my parents are just not like there's no open communication. So I think that, you know, if you're listening and you have Middle Eastern parents, it can be a lot more difficult. And a lot of times in our culture, they make your pain their pain. So it's like, oh my God, what did I do? And you ended up here and like it just becomes very martyrdom and like victimhood. So just be aware of that when you want to have these kind of open conversations. But again, I'm not trying to freak you out. You should have these conversations, but it's not gonna be easy. Um, and you might have to have them multiple times, especially if sometimes there's like a language barrier, like you're going to have to really like kind of ex- break it down. But I think that the best way to deal with it is in the moment. And what I've been doing instead of like, because I think if you leave it, then it kind of like compounds and then it becomes a bigger issue. So I think if you just like, when my dad now will say like, oh, that woman is fat. And I'm like, and why did you mention that? And then I think, and then I think that sometimes he's like, I don't know why. And I'm like, well, I see what you see. And then the conversation is kind of over. Like he, he might do it again, but like, it's like, or when people make jokes, like my uncle was like, oh, I have a joke. And I was like, and he makes a lot of like fat jokes. And I was just like, and my aunt's like, don't tell him he's not going to laugh. And I was like, you can tell me, I'm just not going to laugh. And then he told me the joke and he was cracking up. And I was just like this. I mean, listen, he never did the joke again. Like, it's not funny. It's not funny when the person doesn't laugh with you. It's not funny. Like, so I think that that, and and there's a lot of gay men, like I've had a lot of friends who are very, you know, fat phobic and they make a lot of comments about weight and I don't join in. Like, I don't, like, I just don't. And then it's not fun for them anymore. 
they're not going to do it. And they're not going to say like, so, cause they know I'm just not going to join in and I'm not, I'm not going to encourage it. I'm not going to like, you know, and, and I think that there have been times where I've with all transparency joined in, done it, like been, because sometimes if you like want to not be bullied, you end up becoming a bully. And again, that's again, being self-awareness. And I think that that's why therapy is so important. You know, like uh, Jackie Goldschneider, who's on uh, Real Housewives of New Jersey, is very open about, you know, her struggles with an eating disorder and even talking about how awful Ozempic is and all of that. And she's been very honest about like how she would end up bullying people who were, you know, fat and she was struggling with her own eating disorder. So sometimes you hide behind like that. And and so just again, self-awareness, therapy, having these open dialogues. And remember, you're not doing it for them. I think a lot of people like have conversations because they want to educate other people you're doing it for yourself. And I always say, take the charge out of it, right? Every conversation has a charge or has an energy. So if you're going in there and you're going to be like, you guys are fat phobic and I fucking hate you. It's not going to work. So you got to go in. I think hurt feelings always works the best. Like I told my dad, you know, when I'm trying to eat dessert and you talk about diabetes, when we have that in our family and I've been pre-diabetic before, it really like scares me. And then it's really hard for me to enjoy the cookie, the whatever. And I think that he understood that. I mean, he still does it, but like, I think he understood that. And sometimes, I mean, this, I, this is a bit more tricky, so it's not for like everyone, but you can also talk about them in front of them about someone else doing something that they do, right? And that's worked with my dad sometimes where I'll be like, you know, my friend's dad, like every time I'm eating something, he'll comment about how bad it is for you and it'll give you a heart attack. And my dad's like, that's awful. I don't know. How can someone talk about that when you're eating? It's like, you do that. Because sometimes when you're missing self-awareness, like there's been a couple of times where I've done that with my dad and I've noticed like in some weird ways, he stopped doing that. So I don't know if he realized like, oh, he's talking about me, but like, I think there's ways where you can have that conversation and you can kind of um, get to a place where you're kind of meeting in the middle. And I think that because I was queer, like that helped me a lot because my parents are never going to go to pride. They're never going to be like, woo woo, we're so excited our son's queer. That's never going to happen. So I've had to meet them in the middle. And I think that if you can meet your parents in the middle, knowing that they're never going to be like, oh, wow, like you look stunning at every weight, you can kind of get to a middle point. And it sounds like you're leading by example too and going into things with a really important recognition that you're not going to change anyone's beliefs in one conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. What kind of advice would you give to someone who is considering starting a dialogue with their parents about the impact the food and body comments have made on them? Maybe they haven't done it before. What advice would you give to someone going into it? I think do like write it out. Because I think sometimes when you're having a very emotional conversation, people are like, well, I'm just going to wing it and I'm just going to be authentic. But then sometimes you lose your word. So I think you can make like a little bullet point like, hey, like you said this about, you know, my extra weight or like you, you made a comment that like women shouldn't be fat, but men can be fat or what, whatever it is that your parents said, like write that down and be like, uh, that's not very cool. Like, you know, and, and also like make it about safety. Cause I think that if you say like, I don't feel safe when you make those comments or it hurts my feelings. I think a lot of people, when they want to have a conversation, they go in with, you did this, you said that you, 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 but the problem is when someone says you did something, you become on the defense and then it's like you're, you're butting heads. But if you say I was hurt, I, I feel unsafe. Then all of a sudden it's like, the person generally will not like turn on you because it's like, Oh shoot. Like, and again, this is all being said with parents that are open to this dialogue. I mean, there's going to be parents that don't want to have this dialogue. And there are people in your life that are always going to think that being fat is disgusting or, or like that your body needs to be a certain way. And unfortunately, when you grow, you end up getting rid of some parasites. I'm sorry. Like, that's how I see it. I mean, the way a whale jumps out of the ocean to get rid of parasites, sometimes when you're growing, it's like you jump out of the water and then you come back in and you've lost a lot of friends. I mean, I have lost a lot of friends because I don't want, even if I was, uh, had a quote unquote, like with the like modeling standard, perfect body, perfect abs, perfect everything. I never want to sit there and comment on someone else's body. Like I never, so I have friends that do that and they're no longer my friends. You choose your friends, you don't choose your family. So again, even with your family, you can stop talking to them. So there has to come a point where if you're being collectively disregarded and disrespected over and over again, you can either remove yourself from that situation or try to make it better. I mean, there's only two options, 
really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a good segue for our next thing on the list. So let's get into our third way to overcome food noise and body shame brought on by parents. Number three, set boundaries. So setting boundaries can be an important and necessary step to take care of yourself when you're experiencing comments about food and body from your parents. It lets people around you know what is okay and what isn't okay in your life. So Amir, what has setting boundaries with your parents looked like for you? So with boundaries, like especially with Middle Eastern culture, they don't have boundaries, right? Like when I wanted to get a lock on my door, it was like, why do you want to lock your door? It's like, because I want privacy. Like there's there's a lack of like kind of understanding and a lot of like, even like, because I understand that my family is incapable of like abiding to a boundary, but you need to keep setting them and be like, I don't like that. Stop doing that. Like, you know, and I remember like when I had gained weight and like, you know, your bodies, you know, when you've gained weight and like people were appalled by it. I was like, why are you appalled by it? Like, that's so like, what's going on? Well, I'm eating or I have like, or maybe I have like a physical ailment. Like you just stay out of my business. Like it's, you know, so I think that that like, again, for me, like, I've had to kind of set boundaries of being like, no. And a lot of it is very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's very violating and kind of like almost voyeuristic. They want to see you. They want to see your body. It's just like, stay out of it. And then what really bothers me, especially someone who's dealt with an eating disorder, is that like, I, I was at dinner with my family and I wanted to eat a piece of pizza. And they're like, oh, look who's, it's like, oh my God. Like, have you asked them to not comment on your food intake? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. How does it go? Oh, they're just like, well, no, I'm just mentioning a fact. It's almost like this kind of like kind of insane defense of like, oh, like I'm just stating the facts. Like you're fat, you're ugly, you lost your hair. Like it's just like it's a culture of just like, oh, I'm being upfront. You're not being upfront. You're being an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> there is a difference. Like, yeah. You know, and so I think that that's why for me, like I limit my encounters with them and interactions with them because I'm like, oh, I can't take that on. Like, I'm like, nope. You know, and I don't, even to this day, I do not like eating and being watched. Like if, if I go to dinner with someone, like I'm not eating, I won't order. Cause I don't, there, I have an issue with like someone watching me eat. Um, it makes it very difficult for me to like enjoy it. And I just don't like that. So I, and I don't know if that's part of that's from the eating disorder. I don't really know, but I just, I have a lot of issue with like being watched. I'm sure it is, especially with the the family experience you've had. Yeah. Yeah. Like everyone's kind of aware of what I'm doing. And like, and and it's funny because like, I think a lot of people, and I don't think they mean to, but they're like, oh no. Like I remember I told my friend, like, she's like, no, that's an eating disorder. You were just in college and you like, people always kind of want to like, they don't want to like, just accept it. Like they want to kind of convince you out of it. I don't know what that's about. But again, that's like with boundaries too. Like with my friends, I can set a boundary. I'm like, no, it was an eating disorder. I'm owning it. Like, she's like, but I knew you then. It wasn't that bad. I'm like, people can hide. I, I was also gay. You had no idea. I hadn't told you. So, like, you know, like, so people can hide a lot of stuff. So I think that that's where you can kind of set more boundaries is with your friends or even with, like, your coworkers. If someone makes a comment about your weight to be like, that makes me really uncomfortable and I'm not going to put up with it. Yeah, well, it sounds like with within your family, it's like you have this recognition that they're not really going to change. They're kind of this unit together with the, these cultural views and it is what it is. And it's up to you on your end to handle when you're going to go into it. How are you going to handle it when you do? I mean, really, that's all you can do. And also understanding where people are at. Like if you have friends who are just going to kind of constantly invalidate you, then maybe it's time to move on from the friendship. I mean, I don't, you know, I had a friend that I'm no longer really friends with that would comment a lot about my body. Like, you're so brave. What are you wearing? I would never wear that. Like just, and I just, after a while was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I cannot kind of deal with your constant awareness. And it's, I don't think it's even the commenting, it's the awareness of my body and its movements and what it's doing. And I just, like, I can't do that. Yeah, I relate to that. I feel like that too. Anyone just like, yeah, watching your body move or watching you eat, that's definitely an eating disorder thing, especially when you have parents and live in a world. Like, I'm not, I'm not from LA. I've visited, I've never lived there, but I hear people say what you're saying too around just like the social culture, the work culture is so much more heavily focused on like appearance and body size and weight like more so than the rest of the world because it's kind of like the epicenter of pop culture there oh yeah oh yeah and even when i moved there and i think part of that was going from orange county where like people look good and there's a lot of plastic surgery and people are fit but there are also normal people like everyone's just kind of like there's a spectrum of different bodies in la like 
the guy that's picking up the trash is like a model. Like, and that was really hard for me. Like that everybody was gorgeous and everybody was talking about college and this and in just berberine this and that. And even now, like it's such a conversation around Ozempic or like, Oh my God, I wish I could eat that. You can like, I don't ooh, like that. It's, I was watching old episodes of ugly Betty and like, she smells the bagel and like, and it was, it was even watching that and the way they talk about her weight. And I'm like, America Fur is not even. I know. Like, what are they talking? Like, eight, she was the butt of every episode. They talked about her body and commented on how fat she was. And I was like, wow, like, this is only like not even 10 years ago. Or like, even like all the fat suits in TV shows, like on Friends and like Will and Grace. There was so much, like, and they would do these fat suits with like these crazy necks. And I'm like, people don't look like that. Yeah. Like, it's like you made, you, they almost made it kind of like, like almost like a Halloween costume instead of just someone who had extra pounds. And that, and I remember like watching those shows or even like, um, what was that show, uh, that movie with the four kids, the Goonies? Like he wasn't even that overweight. Like one of the guys wasn't even that overweight. And they were like, he's the fat friend. And I remember like, I looked like that when I was watching it. And I'm like, oh my God, like then I must be huge. Like, so I think pop culture really has a huge effect. And I think there's been a lot of strides, right? And I think, and even in fashion, you saw it on the runways, there's a lot more. But the thing, the problem I have is that even when they do have plus size models, they're covered up and they're belted wearing a jacket. I'm like, that's not really like celebrating like the, and and I think that, and it's funny because like when women of a certain size or men of a certain size dress and it's like, oh, it's obscene. Why? Why is it obscene when Selena Gomez dresses a certain way, but then when Hailey Bieber it does, right? Because they're they're only like twenty pounds different. It's it's like it's almost like people kind of um, they give themselves away. Like it's such a bias. Yeah, it's very interesting. It is interesting, and I and I like how we're kind of getting into like Western culture and pop culture in America. There's so many similarities with the culture that you're describing that your family grew up in. Just kind of like coming from different angles. Absolutely. Now let's get on to our fourth way to overcome food noise and body shame brought on by parents. Number four, seek support from others. So make sure to lean into support from friends, family, mental health professionals, anyone who can provide you some emotional support and guidance while managing the complex dynamics that can come up with your parents. So Amir, you have shared some of the people who maybe have not been so supportive <laughs> in your in your journey here, but who are people that you can trust and that you can lean into when it comes to recovery and feeling safe? So, I mean, I'm not very like, I, I think that this journey, like I said, like kind of, I've come to a place where I've acknowledged it in the last couple of years. It's not something I like readily talk about and it's not, and that's why I wanted to come on here and really talk about it because it's not something that I'm so open about i've talked about it before um and i i I, and i think it's important for me to like acknowledge it and move forward but you know it's not a conversation i have with my friends i don't sit and like be like you know i struggle with this but you know a lot of my friends that are really like close we just don't talk about weight at all we don't talk about food we don't talk like we just do not discuss it like you know i have a friend um you know who's a nutritionist and sometimes we'll be like i've gained weight and like and some of those conversations are hard because it's like five pounds to someone like that is struggling with their weight. It's just triggering sometimes when people think like five pounds is a lot. And I'm just like, and I get it. Everyone has their own journey, but there are times where I am triggered and I do will say like, Oh, I think this conversation, I just want to like not have this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where I end it. And I don't, sometimes I think it's important to not, um, and I learned this from my therapist to not like have to open up a vein every time to explain why you don't like a conversation to not be like, I had an eating disorder, hence why I don't like this. Or like, I was traumatized. Like, I'm just like, sometimes like, oh, I don't want to have this conversation. Like, it's triggering me. Or, you know, like she was talking about one of her friends and how she doesn't eat and like, she can't wait to not be pregnant so she could like go back to her figure. And I was like, well, like, I feel like she's struggling with something. I don't know if it's an eating disorder or like food noise, but maybe you want to talk to her in a bit more delicate. And I'm again, I'm not going to get involved and like call her friend, but I was like, I think sometimes I can lead people in that right direction because I can see the warning sign where it's very like, oh no, she's just really vain. It's like, no, that's an excuse. Like you're like, because it it kind of like is a snowball effect. Because like I said, it just didn't start. Like I was, you know, I had a lot of weight issues as a kid. Then I was on a swim team and I kind of lost weight and then everyone looked better than me. And I started doing comparison and you like, it's just, it's like a snowball effect. Then you're in LA and everyone looks perfect. And 
you know, in life, like seems it's seemingly so much easier for fit, attractive people. I mean, that's a very Western marketing, advertising kind of thing. And even in the in the Middle East or in other countries, it's like it's very white centric. If you are whiter, you have a better life. If you're fitter, you have a better life. Like, you know, and it's very confusing because a lot of the rhetoric like 50 years ago was like, if you're overweight, you're rich. Like it's a good thing. So kind of to see that like shift and now it's like a different body type. And a lot of like Bollywood movies or like Persian films, it's a lot of like really overtly muscular people. Like no one's ever fat. The women are all very small and petite. So I think that that, also factors into this kind of like westernized image of beauty like if you look at like a turkish drama like in turkey like they look american so blonde blue-eyed very fit western clothes so i think there's like there's this like idea that like like a certain weight is so paramount to like success and like having the best life so yeah it's, it's kind of interesting that kind of shift so i think that again support like wherever you can get it but i Unfortunately, like really, I mean, the main support I get is from my therapist and from my own self. I mean, I have a lot of mantras where like if I'm in a locker room or, you know, I'm in like a sexual situation, I'm like, I look good. Like this person chose me. I look good. Like you have to remind yourself, like, because there is a lot of trauma around being naked and a lot of people are quite comfortable being naked. And like, especially in the gay community, it's like everything is like naked. And I remember like I went to an underwear party once, like a long time ago when I was really dealing with a lot of body issues. And I remember like people would talk to me and they'd like look at my chest, they'd look at my body and like they would walk away. Is that just a party where everyone wear- shows up in their underwear? I've never heard of an underwear party. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, an underwear party. So yeah, that was in New York. They take your clothes. And I remember thinking like, oh, it was just going to be like, it was just a theme. But no, they take all your clothes. Like you're in your underwear. And, you know, people looked and gay men always look really fit. And, and of course, there's like different body types, but like the general was like very fit. And, you know, people would be talking to me and then they would like look at my body and walk away. And that's really kind of like death by a thousand paper cuts. You know, I would get messages on Grindr, like dating apps, like, oh, if you lost weight, like, or, or you send them a picture of your body and then they would block you. Right. So all of these traumas like have, have really like factored in. Or like, I remember like this guy hugged me once and was like, oh, you're so squishy. I love it. For me, that was really traumatic. Yeah. Well, it's like, even when people like think they're being nice or intend to be kind, like a comment on your body, no matter what the intention, and sometimes it's good intention, sometimes it's not. When you are struggling with body image and an eating disorder, it's uncomfortable. It's unsettling. It's very unsettling. You almost like feel instantly unsafe. And there was a guy that was like, um, like in the gay community, there's something called a chub chaser, which is someone who wants to date people who are like, sometimes like, over overweight like and it's like when i kept telling this guy like i don't i don't like that word and i don't like like you're almost like fetishizing my weight which is something that kind of almost like ended my life i'm like you know what i mean like i'm like uh like i don't really feel and like he wasn't getting it because he's like no you're amazing you're fat i love it i want to like i want to like celebrate it but i wasn't in a place to celebrate anything i was like i don't feel good about it like you know so i think there's like especially in the gay community it's very difficult like not to say that like it's not difficult everywhere but i think that the gay community adds like another layer where like everybody assumes that every gay man is fit and i'm like that's not the case and i've heard before that like fat phobia or body comments in the gay community is kind of like turned up to 11 it is it is i mean it's like unfortunately like you know i would say hurt people hurt people like that's just how it is and i think that the gay men are are one of the most hurt like groups and they really do lash out at each other. It's crazy. So anyways, thank you for shining some light on that. I think that's really important to talk about. I want to share as well. I'm really honored that you are saying this is kind of like your first time you're going to be talking about your eating disorder publicly and what you've gone through. Yes. Thank you for trusting us with that. I think that's really exciting. And maybe that might pave the way for support people in your life and people in your corner when it comes to handling food and body. And I hope so. And sometimes an outside perspective can make a world of difference. And that is why we believe so much in our Courage Club here at Recovery Warriors. So if you are looking for support, you can sign up for our Courage Club waitlist at www.jointhecourageclub.com. We open the doors to let new members in every month. So get on the waitlist now to secure your spot for next time. Now let's move on to our last way to overcome food noise and body shame brought on by parents. Number five, engage in self-care. It is so important to take care of yourself so you can be the best version of yourself and show up for your recovery and for others. And it also helps you. 
in managing those comments from friends and family as well. So Amir, I am dying to know with everything you have to deal with coming from the gay community, your family, living in California, how do you take care of yourself? So, I mean, I do like, you know, obviously my therapist, that's like number one self-care for me. Because I think a lot of times when people hear self-care, they think like a bath and like some, I don't know, under eye cream. And it's like, no, I think sometimes self-care needs to be difficult. So I know that with therapy, that's really hard sometimes like to, to go to your therapist and want to have those like hard conversations. Um, and also like a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of amazing people on Instagram and TikTok who will message me like, you know, I feel seen and thank you for like shedding light on like not always being like, or like showing your body how it is like just, and I've gotten a lot of messages from gay men, especially who are like, thank you. Like, that's what I look like. You know, like it's nice to not see another like perfectly chiseled body on Instagram. I mean, it's nice to see something else like a different perspective. So that's always good. Um, I also like, you know, I try to make things that are my own, like that I, that it's just all about me. So I'll do my, I call it my gay walk. So I'll do like a gay walk every day and I'll just like walk around. I'll look at the trees. I'll look at, I'll like say hello to dogs. Like I'll run up these stairs. Like I'll look at the view, like just, and it's all about like, I'll listen to the music. I'll dance up there. Like whatever it is, like, I'll just like have the best time. And it's like, 30 to 40 minutes, like you can give that to yourself. And even if you don't want to do it every day, you can do it every other day or whatever. You know what I mean? So there's ways that you can kind of find, or or even if it's like, I'm going to take a little drive down like a really pretty road or like whatever, like I'm going to listen to my favorite song on a loop or just find things that like really make you happy and do them. And like, and really like, I think spending a lot of time alone is really important Um, I think a lot of people really surround themselves with a lot of people and then people come with their own agendas and their own issues and their own noises. Like, so I like go to the movies alone. I'll go to dinner alone. Like if my friend canceled, I'll still go to the restaurant. Like, Oh, cool. Take a book, take a, take your phone. Like you're not going to die. I promise. (laughs) Like, and it's funny because I ran into my friends once at the movies and it was really funny. They were like, why don't you tell us you could have sat with us. I'm like, I wanted to be alone. And it helps a lot. And then as you can kind of heal yourself and spend time with yourself and like your own company, then when you kind of like go around other people, it doesn't really bother. Honestly, like at this point, like unless someone says something like overtly racist or homophobic, I generally will not leave a conversation because I can take a lot. I'm like, eh. I'm like, you know, I got like alligator skin. I'm like, just because everything you say that's nasty, it says more about you than me. And so I think getting to that place is obviously taking a lot of work. And maybe tomorrow, like, I'll regret saying this, and I'll have a breakdown. I mean, I don't know, like, you're a human being. So just like, give yourself some grace. I mean, I think that's like, kind of the best self help is to just give yourself a little grace. Have you ever felt like taking care of yourself or putting yourself first is selfish? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm the, you know, the head of the codependent club. So I think that's like really hard for me. Right. And there, and, and there's little things that you can do to like, really like, for example, like I don't take anyone to the airport. I don't care if we're dating. I don't care if you're my best friend. I am not picking up at the airport. I'm not dropping you off because it pisses me off and it annoys me. And it's like my way of being like, nope. But I used to be so codependent. I would pick up two people at the airport. I would like go to five dinners. I go to five lunches. I don't have the bandwidth. Like, so I think it's important that like, you doing something for yourself is not selfish. Like sometimes my dad wants to come on the walks with me and I'm like, and sometimes I'm like, Oh, you can come. There are times where I'm like, Oh, sorry. No, I need to go alone. And like, nobody likes that. Like, I don't think my dad's like, Oh, thanks a lot. Like you're not letting me come, but like, don't get codependent for their reaction. This is what I've learned from my therapist. People can have their reaction. You can also have your choice. So if you're going to change your choice based on their reaction, then you no longer have the choice. So I'm like, very aware of that or would like like i have a friend who's always like are you sure like come on the airport's like 10 minutes away can you just pick me up like i don't want to take an uber i'm like oh let me send you an uber and like it's really hard for her to like accept it and i'm like that's on her or like if i have a friend for example like never wants to come to orange county always wants me to drive to la and when i don't want to do that she's like oh i really wanted to see i was looking and i'm like you can meet me in the middle and she's like oh it's too far So you don't want to do that. Like you don't actually care enough. You just want to guilt me into like, and I think that if you've inhabited the role of the codependent person who does what everyone wants, and a lot of people who are in recovery or struggling with an eating disorder tend to kind of be like easily swayed because we're going through a lot and like, you know, we're, we're hiding it or we're not hiding it well, or we're ashamed of it or whatever it is. And then people can kind of, and not that they're doing it like actively, but they can kind of 
take advantage of that. Because there's been a lot where I was at my weakest, where I would do a lot of stuff for people. And I'm like, I haven't eaten like the whole day. Like I can barely like function. And I'm like going to this, I'm taking this person to the airport, like just stuff like that, where it's like, well, you have a car though. I'm like, so what? Like figure it out, you know, but it's, it's, it's hard. It's not an easy thing to do. And I think it's like important to like check in and be like, why am I doing this? Like, I remember in like high school, like this is going to really date me, but they had like a book with everyone's phone numbers in it. Cause like we didn't, we had cell phones, but, eh. and so when people were out, I would like call whoever was sick and be like, do you need homework? What do you need? I would just volunteer myself to do that. And I remember when, but then when I was sick, like nobody would do it for me. And it became this like weird, like test that I would continue doing it and then continue to feel bad. And I was like, why am I even doing this? Like, right. And I think that it's like, I, I, looking back, it's cause I just wanted attention and it's like, don't do that then. Like, don't like, don't test people. Don't set people up for failure. Like, you know, cause sometimes people don't have the bandwidth. Like I had a friend who was like, well, you didn't congratulate me properly on my wedding. And I'm like, well, I was going through my cousin's divorce. I was taking care of his kids. Like sometimes people just don't have the bandwidth. And if you ask them why they can't do something for you, maybe you'll get an answer. And I think this is kind of for anyone who has like friends or family who are in recovery or struggling with an eating disorder or like whatever body issues, like maybe ask them why they can't pick you up at the airport. Maybe like have a dialogue with them. Cause like, I think a lot of the onus of the person struggling, whether it's suicidal thoughts, whether it's body issues, whether it's being in a closet, it almost feels like the onus is on us to speak up and say, we need help. Sometimes it's okay for you to also check in and be like, are you okay? Like, I haven't seen you in days. I have not seen you eat once when we've been together for months. Like, uh, like, you know what I mean? And I, and I understand when you're the other person, it's awkward, but like, you're like not wanting to deal with awkwardness, like could hinder someone's life. Like you could help save someone's life by having that awkward conversation. Like I haven't seen you come out of your room in five days. Are you depressed? Like, you know, like it's okay to ask, like to like have the uncomfortable conversation to like help someone. Yeah. It might be a little awkward. Right. I mean, it's very awkward. Yeah. Sometimes the hard things are worth it or important. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. What other self-care practices do you do other than your wonderful gay walk? <laughs> um, what else do you do? It sounds fun. I want to do one. <laughs> you, you, can, you can come along anytime. Um, you know, I, I also love animals. So I will like go to a petting zoo or I'll go to the zoo and I'll like walk around. And I think there's just things that you can like, if, if you enjoy doing certain things, like you could do more of that. Like I love watching movies. So I'll go and see a movie or I love going to like an outdoor mall and like walking around and like looking at stuff. And like, and I think it's like a lot of times people are like, well, that's so boring. Like, why are you doing that alone? I'm like, well, I like to go get an iced tea or like get in a cyborg and walk around, like enjoy, like, and I think sometimes when you just sit and just like enjoy people walking by, you kind of feel less alone and you feel more a part of something. Because I think a lot of times when you're in recovery, whatever it is, anxiety, depression, like eating disorder, whatever it is, you sometimes feel so on an island and you're like, I'm never going to get better, but I'm never going to like feel like I can just like go out and eat what I want or like just be like, just like live my life. But like there is light at the end of the tunnel, like you will get there. And I think sometimes like it's little, like right now, um, as I'm talking to, I have like a thousand piece puzzle. Like I've done like probably like a hundred pieces, but like eventually it'll get done. I mean, like recovery is kind of like, I mean, I hate to be kind of cliche, but recovery is like kind of like a puzzle. Like you just have to kind of end up and a lot of fit, pieces don't fit. You you might lose a piece and then the whole thing falls apart. Like you're going to like eventually finish it. And sometimes maybe some people will help you because I, right now I'm doing it alone, but I'm sure I'm going to need my sister and my cousin's help at some point. But like, I, it's like, you can get some people to help you. Actually, this analogy kind of works. Um, people can help you. You can even frame it when it's done. I've done that. You put a little puzzle glue, you frame it, you see your accomplishment. I mean, it's like, I never thought when I was struggling with all of this stuff that I would look forward to eating or I would like be, and I'm like such a foodie now with my friends and like, they always ask me where to eat. I, yes, of course there are flashes where I'm like, Oh no, why did I eat that? Or like, and I think that kind of goes back to the puzzle. There are days where I'm like, I can't do this puzzle. I'm not doing it. And that's fine. Like you're a human being. There are days where you just cannot do it. And there are days where I'm like, oh, like one day I did like 
like almost like 50 pieces. I was like, doom, boom, like one whole piece was done. But it's like, that's kind of recovery. And that's kind of just like moving forward. Like even after this, I'm like, what am I going to eat for lunch? Like this was not a normal part of my life. Like I would like suffer when people, because people would become aware of it. They'd be like, oh, you didn't eat today. And I'm like, okay, well, eat a couple pieces of an orange. Like, is that good enough for you? And like, and then you end up living for other people. And like, it's just a really like tough place to be. So I have a lot of sympathy for, for people and gun to my head. I will never comment on someone's body. I will never like, because I just, it just feels so outside of like, what is my wheelhouse? So I think that again, knowing what your wheelhouse is, knowing what your ethics are, knowing like what your triggers are, all of that stuff helps and being like, Oh, I don't like that. And that's okay. Like there are times where people say things to me. I'm like, Oh, I don't know. I received like someone the other day was like, Oh my God, you look so great. That compliment went in the right way. I was like, Oh, I received that. But then like the next day it was like, you look so skinny. And then it just didn't go in. And I was like, I don't like that. And that's okay. You don't got to like every compliment. And I know we have so many things ebb and flow. Like one day you'll take a compliment a, a different way than another. One day you want your dad to join you on the walk. One day you don't. Like one day you do 50 pieces of the puzzle. One day you ignore it for five days. Like <laughs> it's so everything fluctuates. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your self-care practices because self-care is so important to keep you in just a, a grounded place to deal with recovery and, and outside noise from others. So these are five ways to overcome food noise and body shame brought on by parents. Thank you, Amir, for sharing your story and your insights today. They're so helpful. And I'm so excited for you to put your story out there for people to hear. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I, you know, I really love people to DM me, like anyone, whatever your thoughts are about this episode, or if you need more like tips, or you just want like a friend. I post a lot of ridiculous content. So it's like, just a lot of, I just have a lot of fun. And I think that if you sometimes need just a break, I think it's, it's a, it's a good profile to check out. How can the listeners stay in touch with you? How can they find you? Oh yeah. So it's Amir Yas official. Um, so it's Y A M I R Y A S S and then official, um, on Instagram and TikTok. And yeah, I respond to all of the DMS. Um, you know, as long as they're not like mean, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I try to respond to all of them. Yeah, So don't be mean. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, I hope you find some people to connect with. Thank you so much. So to review our five things are number one, education, number two, communication, number three, set boundaries, number four, seek support from others, and number five, engage in self-care. Well, my warrior friend, thank you for having the discipline to listen in. If you found this episode helpful and know somebody in recovery who could benefit from its inspiring message, please share this show with them. It would mean the world to us at Recovery Warriors if we can get our cause out to more people struggling with an eating disorder. So if what you heard today was helpful, share the show with another warrior or anyone on your treatment team. You can do this directly from your podcast player or send them over to recoverywarriors.com. We have a goldmine of free resources there for all stages of recovery. And until the next episode, may compassion light the path you are on and courage keep you on it. You totally got this, warrior.